using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra-strong trash bags, always at an ultra-low price. They're our best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong with Arm and Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Love Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Change Agents Dilemma for Tuesday, December 17th, 2013. I'm your host, Heather Stagel, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, as I do once a month on Blog Talk Radio. This show is one of the many ways I help equip individuals and teams to influence organizational change at Enclaria. The Change Agent's Dilemma is how to influence change without authority, and my goal with this show is to share ideas and stories and resources to help you do just that. Today, my guests are Dr. Victoria Grady and Jenny Lee Schmidt, who are both here to discuss a tool for measuring resistance to change. Victoria Grady is the President and Principal Consultant at Pivot Point Business Solutions. She is currently a Visiting Assistant Professor in the Department of Organizational Sciences and Communication at the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. Her research focused on the inherent loss of stability suffered by organizations introducing and implementing organizational change. Original research in 2005 resulted in the validated model of an organizational loss of effectiveness, or LOE, or low, she likes to call it, a model, explaining the tendency of individuals, often subconsciously, to struggle, resist, and potentially disrupt the organizational change initiative. As an independent consultant, my other guest, Jenny Lee Schmidt, specializes in services related to improving individual and organizational performance. She is one of only 12 consultants certified worldwide to administer and interpret the Loss of Effectiveness Index. Together, they will be presenting on the low index at the ISPI conference in April. Victoria and Jenny, welcome to the show. Thanks, Heather. Hi, Heather. <laughs> so <laughs> nice we're talking about resistance to change. And so I just want to start there because it's such a loaded phrase. So I wanted to get your feelings on what resistance to change is and what, what's your philosophy about resistance. So <clears throat> this is Victoria, and I will uh, take that out start off that question. Um, okay. Interestingly, I don't believe that it is actually resistance to the change um, that we are experiencing. I think it's more important to look at it as a resistance to the inconvenience that the change brings about. Um, and what I mean by that is if you think about it, um, it may not be that new technology or that new leader that we're actually resistant to accepting or embracing in our organizational life. But instead, it may be all those pieces that go between um, the current state that we're in and the future state of having that new technology or that new leader or that new business process integrated um, into the business. So it's that between area um, that I believe that it is, is what we're actually resistant to because that's such a challenging space. And oftentimes we find ourselves feeling um, significantly lost um, in that space or maybe a little bit um, of our footing is not um, secure. So, so instead of, of considering it uh, a resistance per se, I like to think about it more in the terms of, um, of, a, of a resistance to that, that, that space, that unknown space, that unstable space that we find ourselves in um, transitioning through the change. 
Okay, so it's, it, it's the resistance to instability caused by change, not necessarily the change itself that's happening. Yeah, that's what okay. that's, that's exactly how I like to think about it. Okay, great. And Jenny, would you like to add anything? Yeah, I would because I've had um, a, a personal experience recently that's caused me to broaden my thinking on the topic. And the experience is that I recently um, experienced the death of two very dear family members. And because of that, I participated in a structured program um, that was developed and is offered by the Grief Recovery Institute, which is an organization that focuses on just that, helping people recover from all, all kinds of grief. And I learned two things about grief that made me start thinking about how it has an impact in the organizational setting. Number one is that any loss leads to grief. And um, that means not only a death or a divorce, but, but a thing like a move, um, moving your, your home location or a change in jobs. Even things that we think are positive, like uh, getting married and going off to college, they do have some other losses associated with them, such as leaving home, leaving behind different types of identities. So any loss can lead to grief, and grief being a normal human reaction. That leads me to believe that some of, quote-unquote, resistance to change that's going on in the workplace is responding to that loss because, to the point Victoria just made, people develop relationships with their managers and their coworkers and the location of their office, the objects in their office, all sorts of things. And when there's a change in that relationship, it can be experienced as a loss, and therefore there's some grief to be dealt with there. The second thing I learned about grief is that grief is cumulative. So, for instance, um, a person who's had several griefs leading up to the particular grief that brought them into a structured program, they might be feeling that most recent loss more strongly and more painfully because of other unresolved losses that are farther behind. Um, So, for instance, it's fair to say that some people in our organizations, if they have had personal losses before the change that happens in their organization, that change might hit them harder than someone who hasn't been struggling with other things. But I think it also relates to what we sometimes call change fatigue, where there are so many changes in the workplace that come right on top of another that a person could be feeling, you know, sort of some pent-up loss and grief related to that stack of changes. So, um, you know, I think there's some there's some interesting aspects there about that question about why people resist change and um, why some people resist it more than others. And, you know, there's a challenge there about whether or not we can differentiate for those who are struggling more than others. Um, But that's something I'm going to explore going forward. And, in fact, I've had some conversations with Dr. James Brady, who uh, is a physician by background, and that's Victoria's dad. And that's something that he and I may work on together going forward as it relates to the LOE index and how it could be used in the workplace. So since you mentioned the LOE index, um, Victoria, can you tell us a little bit about it, you know, how it came about, what, what was the background, and what's the research behind it? Sure, uh, Heather, and that's a, a great question. Um, just to give a little bit of a perspective on, on what we are, um, what we're looking at. So maybe 10 years ago now, um, I found myself experiencing um, difficulty dealing with technology change. 
as it were. And I just noted as I was um, a, a manager in a, an organization um, integrating technology change in what seemed like um, a pretty constant state, and, and it's even more now, um, I, I started cataloging and paying attention to the symptoms that I felt, the ways that it made me feel. Um, and as I entered my Ph.D. program, it was really interesting because I had the opportunity to work with a guy named Dr. Jerry Harvey. And some of your listeners may be familiar with Dr. Harvey's work um, called The Abilene Paradox. And anyway, um, Dr. Harvey said in, in class, um, was having a dialogue about um, these symptoms that were related to something called attachment behavior. And these symptoms related to attachment behavior, he was postulating, also exist um, in employees in organizations experiencing change. And so I started looking at those um, and understanding them more completely at the individual level. And then um, for my own research um, uh, in, in completion of my doctorate, I started looking at, okay, so if we've got these existing in the individual and their individual symptoms, how does the collective of those individual symptoms impact the overall organization? And so what we started looking at is the organizational manifestations of those individual symptoms, um, which are things like um, decreased morale, uh, decreased productivity, increased conflict decreased motivation, absenteeism, and turnover. And what evolved were six pretty consistent symptoms that were present um, when organizations were experiencing a, a challenging change. And interestingly, they, they, we found them um, present even when it wasn't considered a challenging change at the outset, but as the organization began to experience the instability associated with the change or the, the loss of footing or um, the, the um, transition into the new, the new perspective with the change integrated, we saw these symptoms even in, in, in um, organizations that had very carefully, um, well thought out uh, change methodologies and plans in place. That even with those pieces, um, the organizations were still experiencing these symptoms because the methodologies weren't addressing um, strongly enough what that was going on within within that unique organization. So, so the low index came about. We had this great model um, that was interesting, but it was, you know, to be honest with you, it was pretty academic at that point, and this was maybe six years ago. And we said, okay, so this is all fantastic that we can save these um, symptoms or these organizational um, behaviors uh, come up every time change is taking place. But if you can't measure them, it doesn't help anybody. Um, so we set out to create an index to try to help understand the unique nature of each organization and how those um, organizational behaviors, what did they look like inside of uh, in individual organizations. And the reason behind understanding what they look like is so then you can take that methodology that you want to put in place and you can customize it based on the unique aspects um, of the individual employees who are, um, you know, at, at – their most basic level of the organization, the collective of those individual employees. So then you end up with a customized framework for, um, based on the symptomatic response of your employees for integrating change. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I'm curious, what is it that you're measuring? What are some, um, of the, like a sample question or... 
Yeah. I'm trying so, to understand so, how it works. Yeah, okay. So uh, as of right now, there are 54 questions. It takes about 12 minutes to complete it. Um, and the very first question on the index says, there is too much change going on in my organization. And you rate that based on a Likert scale. And that question is tied directly back to one of the symptoms. So if you have a chance, it's, it, on the website on the or, on, about the organizational LOE page, it talks about the different symptoms. And so at the individual level, Heather, there are six. Um, and then what we focus on is the, manif- the collective um, behavioral or organizational behavioral um, response of those six individual symptoms. So we look at things like decreased morale, decreased productivity, increased conflict, um, decreased motivation, increased absenteeism, and increased turnover. And interestingly, one of the things we see with regard to absenteeism, this this is one of my favorite um, aspects about the research that was kind of an uh, unconsidered, if you will, uh, aspect that evolved, was that we see absenteeism as folks checking out. So you announce a change is coming, is coming into play, and you can start to watch your employees, especially those who are particularly unsettled by the impending change. And it really doesn't matter what it is. It could be, as I said before, a process. It could be people. It could be structural. It could be technology. But you start to watch the increased um, absenteeism, mental and emotional absenteeism. So your folks may be at work, but they are checking out. They are (laughs) taking longer lunches. They are um, spending more time on the Internet, maybe spending more time um, in the break room. And it's it's an attempt to uh, console themselves, and it's often unconscious attempt to console themselves about the change. They're trying to connect more with other things to forget about the change. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Have you, so yeah. talk a little bit more about this, because you talked about there's individual responses, I guess, to change, and then collectively you interpret those, or they collectively affect the organization in the ways mm-hmm. that you described, turnover and absenteeism and things like that. So I'm curious what the links are and how how they're related. What What's related, what individual behaviors are related to organizational effects, I guess. Yeah, that's that's a great question. So we have seen pretty conclusively. So the research took us back um, to the around to the turn of the 20th century and the the work of Max Weber. So when we were making the associations between um, the individual behaviors and the organizational equivalents, um, we looked back at existing literature that that brought us all the way from you know the early 1900s all the way to current today to make sure that we were substantiating behaviors. Um, in, in, uh, that existed over time, but that also were relevant in the organizational environment of today, of the 21st century. So, for example, we looked at anxiety. Anxiety is overwhelmingly related to um, a decreased level of morale. And interestingly, we have found pretty conclusively that that decreased morale can often be mitigated or supported by an increased presence or um, support from leadership and sponsorship. So we've actually been able to take it um, three prongs over. So we measure the individual employees, so the employees in the organization or a, um, a, a, a random sample, a statistically significant random sample, though, um, complete the assessment. And then we look at the areas 
um, that are for the collective picture of the organization. And let's say that it identified morale as a challenge. And so then what you as the change agent, Heather, or Jenny as the change agent, would take that data and use that information to create a change method or a change strategy that then um, supports the, uh, the increased need in that specific organization for leadership and sponsorship involvement. It may be that the folks who are being impacted by the change don't think that the leadership is walking the walk. So they may be telling you that the change has got to happen, but maybe the folks um, don't feel like the leaders are um, being impacted the same way that they are. So the leadership then have to you know, integrate into the overall change strategy a more comprehensive way of making sure that the fact that everybody in the organization um, is being impacted by the change is reflected. Does that make sense? Definitely. Definitely. And so how listen, do you... I'd like to... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, Heather, I'm sorry, but um, no, I'd ahead. like to jump in from the practitioner perspective on that one. Awesome, just, Jenny. Yeah, just as a little bit of background, much of my career as a change agent has included um, the, the training and development side of change. And colleagues with a similar background will support me when I say that there are myriad of times when clients come to us uh, with, a, with a notion that training is a solution to a problem they're perceiving when really the root cause doesn't have anything to do with a problem that can be solved by training and development, um, the root cause is something entirely different, and many of us struggle with being put in positions of um, putting in an intervention that really is not going to solve the root cause of the problem. So that is one of the things that I like best about the LOE index because of the clear line that Victoria's research and her tool has drawn between the individual symptom, the organizational root cause, and the right intervention. It's... um, you know, at the risk of oversimplifying it, it's a great cheat sheet for practitioners. <laughs> Once you use the LOE to identify these symptoms and their root causes, it really gives you such a head start on making sure you're designing the right type of intervention. And, you know, many of us come to the work with street smarts and a lot of experience, and we make very strong educated guesses about which interventions will work with which projects. But for me, this really puts data behind it. Um, which is helpful not only in selling your proposed solution to your clients, but also in making sure that you're picking the right one. And you're obviously you're much more likely to have a higher level of success if you're if you're in, you know putting in the right solution to the right problem. So I think that's a, a real benefit of using this tool. Great, thanks. And Heather, I just was thinking about or one other example that may resonate with some of your um, some of your listeners as well. We just finished a project about six months ago with a hospital system um, in the state of Georgia, actually. And interestingly, um, they had, um, it was an an upgrade um, or a preparation for an upcoming upgrade of an internal system. And they had education and training allotted for a certain part of the hospital system, certain employees within the hospital system. But they didn't have education and training available to employees across the board. And as it turns out, after we administered the the LOE index, we found out that there were some deep concerns in employees who weren't being offered education and training um, about this new system. And so what the change team did is they went back and, and 
um, increased the scope of um, education training to other to employees outside their initial um, uh, highlighted area because there were so many people who were so, were overwhelmingly concerned and preoccupied with the fact that they weren't going to be educated and trained, but yet they would be held responsible um, for the processes that would be byproducts of this new system. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it was fantastic. So maybe this would have gone forward without that education and training um, in the absence of this data, but because they had it proactively, they were able to integrate it um, uh, on the front end instead of having to react to it on the back end. Right, because that's, yeah. <laughs> Reaction <laughs> is a lot of what we end up doing when we're implementing change. Let's try this and see what happens, and then you know, then you see what happens and say, oh, now we need to do this instead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So having that up front would be helpful. So, so tell me a little bit about how you use it. How do you use the mm-hmm. LOE index? Like, when do you use it? How many people? You know. Right. How does it work? <laughs> so, it, <laughs> so it depends on on the change, right? So I, I I'll say it depends. No, I'm just kidding, and then I'll, I'll elaborate <laughs> just a little bit. More. I'll elaborate just a little bit more. So uh, depending on the organization, let's say that we've got 1,000 um, employees. And those 1,000 employees, um, we just we did last year a federal government organization here in the D.C. area that had about this. So I'll give you kind of them as an example. And they were those employees were split into three distinct groups of individuals. So what we did is we calculated, um, I have a colleague who is just a, my statistics guru, he calculated for me um, what, what, what numbers we needed from each department and then collectively from the organization um, and to, to be able to, uh, to feel like what we were getting was a representative sample of the organization. So then we put the assessment out there and, and Honestly, Heather, we haven't had a time yet where we haven't gotten more than um, our, our required sample size because once people look at it and they start talking about it and realize that this is an opportunity for them to have a voice in creating um, the change methodology or the change strategy or how that change is going to be integrated, they tend to really um, they, they really uh, chime in. So we put it out there. We get the information collected from the employees, and then we um, look at it not on an individual level. We look at it collectively. So we you know collect some demographics and break it down by department. Maybe we'll break it down by years of service. Um, maybe we break it down by geographic location. And then we start looking at the areas, the symptoms that are reflected um, based on whatever criteria the change agent um, want to evaluate the, um, the employees based on in order to create that customized change strategy. Does, does that make sense? Sure. So the, the LOE index, it sounds like you would apply it to a specific change. So versus just coming into an organization cold without knowing what's going on or what the change is, you wouldn't necessarily apply it in that case, but you have a specific change yeah. that you're, you're, relate, you're referring to. Yeah, actually not. No? Yeah, we, mm-mm, we've done it both okay. ways. And we've done it to kind of, yeah, to look at the overall change health. Some organizations, and it doesn't have to be one specific change, right? A lot of the organizations that we deal with, with healthcare industry and the federal government, um, as well as, as private industry, are dealing with multiple changes. And Jenny mentioned this a minute ago, this concept of change fatigue, 
right? What can I do to make my organization perform at an optimal level? Well, maybe your organization is experiencing change fatigue. So so maybe you need to do some um, proactive measures to kind of build up morale, build up productivity and overall performance of the organization before you go to integrate any more change initiatives. Maybe you need to take a breath and, you know, kind of get everything back um, to to a good stable perspective, you know, stable being a relative term, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> With technology changed the way it is today. But um but but get it back to a, a relatively stable perspective and then go forward. So sometimes we use the index um at, for a um a specific change. Where we, we do a baseline, then you um integrate or administer a second assessment after the change has gone live to make sure that what you thought was going to work is doing the job, and then maybe six months or a year down the road after the change is completed. But we've also had organizations that say, you know what, I just need to take a temperature, a change temperature or a change pulse of my organization. So can we use the index to just understand how the employees are doing with change in general? And it's been just as successful in kind of helping support organizations that are going through a, a significant amount of change as it has been on organizations that have an identified specific change integrating that. Does it make does that make sense? Yeah, that's that's interesting. So you can apply it to a specific change to help you figure out how to implement that change. Mm-hmm. Or you can apply it to your organization, it sounds like, to help even just build change capability, identify what the areas are that you need to work on just to get better at change in general. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting, too, because a lot of times we just don't realize um, what's going on within our individual employees. It brings up an interesting thought, and I don't know if any of your listeners um, might have at some point gone to, to business school, but if they did, they surely know about something called the Hawthorne Effect. Um, And the Hawthorne effect was some research done back in the 20s by a group of psychologists, um, and I believe it was in Illinois, and they were in a manufacturing facility. And so they went and they said, okay, manufacturing facility, we're going to increase the productivity of our our, um, organization. And so they turned the lights in the organization on the factory floor down. Oh, I'm sorry, they turned them up first. So they turned them up and productivity corresponded, and it increased. And so the, the, the organization was performing better. But because they were researchers and they, you know, we, we researchers love to flip it around, they went and they said, okay, well, let's see what happens when we turn it down. So they turned the lights on the factory floor down. And what happened was productivity increased even more. And they were like, whoa, wait a minute, what what's going on with that? And right. what the response from the employees was hey, we like the fact that you're paying attention to us and that you're asking for our opinions or our feedback or our input on this particular change. And so um, kind of how we use that and we see that and what we've seen in the administration of the index is give employees an opportunity to especially anonymously voice their opinion, and it's amazing um, how much uh, significant response you get even in an environment of survey fatigue, right, of, oh, another survey, I don't want to take it. Well, give them, give them the, 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 um, the thought or the reassurance that you're going to use that data to actually create that change strategy and that what they say matters, and it's amazing um, how much input you'll get and how much response you'll get. 
Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Yes, definitely. And, you know, I'd like to bring up the fact that this is a really new, unique set of data to be used in organizations. You know, we all know that what gets measured gets managed, and that's true for a change project as well as any other kind of project. <laughs> and this is providing you data about the people, about what they're thinking and, quote, you know, in, in air quotes, how they're doing at, at these different points in time, which is different than some of the other metrics we get to use to support change, which is more, you know, from the corporate and operational side, you know, money metrics or pro productivity metrics. So I think it's really important to, to think about how this new kind of data can be leveraged to specifically support change in performance. And, um, and again, to, to be able to capture it over time, I don't think it's unreasonable to start thinking about this tool the way some organizations use uh, that Gallup employee engagement survey. You know, where it checks in periodically and it says, do you have a best friend at work and are you getting the right kind of feedback <laughs> from your supervisors and things. This right. is measuring things that are more targeted towards uh, performance and productivity. So it's a really valuable set of data, and it's, it's really exciting about the ways it can be applied. Great. So where can listeners go to get more information or resources about the LOE index? Well, you can find us on uh, find us on the internet. Our website is www.pivotpnt.com. So it's pivot and then pnt.com. So pivot point. You can also just type in www.lowindex, and that's L O E, but it's an E is an echo, not a W. So L O E. Index.com, and it'll take you um, to our website as well. Um, and if you just Google organizational LOE, you'll find a couple of um, white papers out there if you want some more information. And I have some um, some academic articles, um, and then maybe some more trade um, type publications. If, if folks are interested, they could uh, just uh, send me uh, an email via our contact page on the website, and I'll be glad to provide additional information. I would like to say that if you go to Victoria's website, look for Certified Partners and click on the Logo for Change Navigators, it will automatically uh, present you with an email form so you can contact me directly. Or you can also call me at 678-778-0994. And I would also like to reiterate that if you would like to talk more about this with us in person, we, Victoria and I, will be leading a breakout session featuring the LOE Index and actually, that conversation is going to be largely about how to use it in the analysis phase of a project. And if you go to www.ispi.org, you can uh, get an early bird registration rate for the conference through tomorrow, Wednesday, December 18th. So if, if anybody's listening live, they have that uh, secret info about how to get a register <laughs> rate for the conference. And we would so love to have you there. That would be great to see you. And ISPI is the uh, International Society for Performance yeah. Improvement. That's what I thought. Okay. Great. Well, thank you so much for, to both of you for being here. I've enjoyed our conversation, and our time is pretty much up. So, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for, for thanks so much for sharing about your index. I, I was really curious to learn more about it. So, thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you, Heather, for inviting us. It was really a fun conversation, and I appreciate uh, the opportunity. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to The Change Agent's Dilemma. If you'd like to find more resources to help you influence change in your organization, including individual coaching, team workshops, and upcoming training events, please visit enclaria.com. While you're there, I invite you to sign up for my monthly newsletter. 
Not only will you receive helpful tips, but when you subscribe, you will also receive a free chapter from my change management toolkit, The Irresistible Change Guide. Until next time, take care and best wishes for your change initiative. Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra strong trash bags, always at an ultra low price. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong with Arm and Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra strong trash bags. Always at an ultra low price. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong with Arm and Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty.